Welcome to the Chicago Bears Podcast. A presentation of ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. Here's your host, Pat, the designer. Bear Down Bears fans, welcome into another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast. Pat the Designer, Corny, Courtney Cronin, gotta say it right, in the building. Um, listen, lots still to talk about because week one, preseason, we have so many takeaways and it's always good to get that inside insight from Courtney. Courtney, how you feeling today? I'm good. It's weird that we're now at a place that camp is at the halfway point. There's no more technically when by the time this week is done, no more training camp at Hallis Hall. It goes into yeah. that weird in-between preseason time, but it just shows you things are moving on and moving on really quickly. I mean, I'm excited to see what joint practices bring and you know, the Bears haven't done one with this staff, so this will be yeah. a first for a lot of guys here in Chicago. No, it's going to be really fun to see. I, I, I really can't wait to see what's going to come from it. We had talked with Lance Briggs about the joint practices yesterday, and so really excited to see what this team's going to be able to get out of it. But, you know, we got to talk about some impressions that were made, the best and worst impressions of week one of preseason. Also looking into uh, which rookie impressed the most. We saw some good things out of the young fellas out there, man. So I really want to see what, what your thoughts are on that. And then we get Mikhail Walker off of waivers. What's he bringing to this Bears team? All that more in today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. Drop a bird on right now. Football is back, ladies and gentlemen. Let's jump into this thing because it looks like it's a fall day outside anyway. <laughs> so we got to talk some football. Uh, let's start it off here, Courtney. First quarter. Who do you feel made the best week one impression? We saw a lot of good things from, from the team overall. Of course, DJ Moore, Justin Fields. Starting off with the big touchdown, Khalil Herbert doing some good things. But outside of kind of the two touchdown plays, we still saw a lot of good football. Who made the best impression in week one? You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can go here. And I will go ahead and say that it's Tyreek Stevenson. Mm. And given everything that he's gone through in training camp where he, you know, Summer breaks, they break for the summer, and he's in line for the number one, the number two cornerback spot next to Jalen Johnson. And then, as he put it, he had a couple slip ups as a rookie, and he loses some of those reps to Terrell Smith and his splitting time with the first team defense to watch him have seven tackles, the tackle for loss, and then that pass breakup, which I talked to him one on one yesterday. He said that would have been, it was a good moment. It would have been an awesome moment had he come down with that yeah. and had that takeaway uh, on Colton McDowell's on the pass to Colton McDowell as an interception. Like he's made a lot of strides and you see exactly why the bears drafted him with the 56 overall pick trading up to go get him because he is that difference maker, his length, his athleticism, the physicality. I mean, we saw him blow up a, a, a wider, or excuse me, a running back screen in the that was the second big play that was a tackle for loss it was a three-yard loss you saw him set the edge as a run defender he did a lot of really good things and now you know sometimes it's a product of circumstance Terrell yeah. Smith is hurt and he wasn't playing in that preseason games and the coaches only have what they ha what they have to go off of which is the film which is practice film and it's game film so Tyreek Stevenson seeing an opening for himself to supplant Terrell Smith kind of in the specking order right now. We know this is a competition that's going to go on through the rest of camp, but to watch him take advantage of that opportunity and run with it and do a really good job at that. 
I think is probably my biggest takeaway because a couple days after the game, we were still talking, you know, with coaches and with players about the moments that you saw from Tyreek Stevenson in the first preseason game. And then what the next step for him is going to be as far as building on that, which I think will be good to see how he matches up with some of the receivers uh, in Indy this week, which is on the horizon. He was, he was somebody who I really liked how he tracked the ball that day. I thought that he was flying around really fast. And of course he's got the length, right? So if he's a little bit out of position, he's still got the arm length to be able to get in there and knock that ball away. I thought he did some really good things. And, and I love the fact that it didn't come at the failure of somebody else, right? Like Mm -hmm. you said, Terrell Smith didn't play. Terrell Smith has been really good in camp as well. So it speaks to more that DB depth. And I, I, I mean, like, when you see Tyreek Stevenson play like that, it kind of solidifies what we felt like we were seeing the entire training camp where this DB room could be the best room that Chicago Bears have on the team. Yeah, and the depth is there too. And I think with Steve, I mean, it wasn't just Stevenson, but he was my standout of of the first preseason game. The hit that Kyler Gordon laid on that first drive, I mean, you could feel that energy, even in the press box, just like how that made the stadium react how it made the Bears sideline react and then seeing how well that unit is starting to gel together and of course they're without Jaquan Brisker but watching how Elijah Hicks fills in at safety and Eddie Jackson and kind of not seeing much of a drop off there when Brisker isn't in the game that's a good sign that they are building quality depth in the backfield defensive backfield that maybe they didn't have last year but it's it's encouraging if you're the Bears knowing that you don't have this you know, ever revolving rotation of guys like you have your, you have your guys that you're eyeing a starter set. I mean, Jalen Johnson is a starter Tyreek Stevenson. If he continues on this path and, you know, I think the Terrell, I think having some slip ups early in camp was good for him because it pushed him to not get down on himself and not to, you know, fall off on any of its technique to continue to get better. I mean, it's, it's watching him guard DJ Moore practice number one, where he said he couldn't keep up with him to now yesterday he did. I mean, Moore caught a slant pass on him, but Stevenson was there before he'd be out of position. And those are signs of growth that are really promising. If you're a coach on this team, knowing that your guys are picking up on the coaching, your young players that you're expecting to come in and play right away picking that up too. So it's of all the units that have not, that have dealt with change and that have dealt with injuries. I mean, you think about what's going on with the linebacking unit right now. You think about what's going on, the shuffling up front uh, and some of the injuries up there. The secondary is very much emerging and it has emerged as a strength of this defense and potentially, you know, one of the strengths of this team that we're going to talk about making a major jump from where they were in 2021 to 2022. And then even further this year. Yeah, and it's one of those things that allows it, it. It's like we've said with the wide receiver core, right? Like everybody has their position now. And for me, seeing Kyler Gordon being in the slot, he, he impressed me as he's well. So much more comfortable. Like it's he, he, it's really yeah. remarkable, like how much he's settled into like this is my role. This is what I'm going to do. I don't have to focus on if they need me. To, I mean, of course, if injuries happen and he had to right. go outside, he would. But like he's not worried about that. He's worried about playing the run for as in a specific manner. And he's worried about being where he needs to be in coverage. Uh, He just, he's playing his keys differently. And I know that that sounds like such coach speak, but when you see it in action, you see somebody who's playing back there loose and not 
like not set. You can watch last year. You'd watch him and he'd almost like you could see him thinking about what exactly he needed to do, what the anticipation was going to be before the play had even happened. And that nervous energy just isn't there with him anymore. So I think that's a really encouraging sign that year two in this defense, he knows, okay, I'm responsible for this. I play the hardest position in the defensive backfield, but it's going to be made easier because I don't have to worry about playing outside corner. I don't have to worry about doing specific things that maybe last year I had too much of my plate with. Like that's a really good thing for a young corner in Kyler Gordon to evolve into because that's a starting position because they put they're in their nickel so much that he's going to see the field a ton, which we expect. And he's going to take what he take some of the things that went wrong for him last year and make sure that they don't because don't like replicate themselves this year because he's more experienced and because he has two viable outside corners, whether it's Stevenson or even Terrell Smith, because we know that even before he was injured, he was getting some good reps in there. And again, I imagine that's going to be a competition going down all the way to the wire, but I think this is Tyreek Stevenson's job to lose at this point. Yeah, I, I think that he made a, a great name for himself in that in that first preseason game. And, you know, seeing how everybody fits in and then seeing on top of that, right, the DJ Moore and Justin Fields connection. I said this on uh, on the Windy City Breeze. I said it made me feel better about not drafting George Pickens last year because now I got DJ Moore and it looks like Kyler Gordon looks really good. No, by the way, Tyree Stevenson is still a freak of nature. It seems like that's going to pan out as well. <laughs> like, it gets me excited seeing guys. And I know this is this sounds dumb to say, but just seeing guys be able to play the position that they were drafted to play. Yeah. Like, and, 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 sometimes and, that's easier said than done, just given yeah. how we know how this league works, where, you know, you have people playing out of position, out of necessity and injuries. But like you just you're not having that happen this year with this defense or what, even on offense, too. I mean, guys are playing what they were brought in here to do because the numbers you have elsewhere allow for that to happen. Did uh, did Jatire Carter's uh, play on Saturday force Nate Davis to have <laughs> to come back? Because I thought Jatire Carter played really well. Um, surprisingly well, actually, in my opinion, because I just I thought he was so such a raw talent coming in. And it looks like he's much more poised in that first preseason game. And then all of a sudden, Nate Davis is ready to go again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, they need Nate Davis back because yeah. there's something like when you hear Nate Davis talk about it the way that he did yesterday and didn't want to get into any details. About, were you dealing with a setback? You yeah. know, what's the deal here? Are you ready to practice? Can you be at full speed? He was kind of couching it with the idea that like the coaches will tell him when he's ready to do that. He's just, you know, kind of here to to carry out whatever they're asking him to do. Nate Davis has practiced three times, and if memory serves, all three of those times were in shells. So yeah. they need to the, since he's been here, he hasn't been in pads. That's a serious issue at this point. It's August 15th. Like if he's not in pads against the Colts during uh, these joint practices, then how far away is he? And I mean, for Jatari Carter to play 70% of snaps in the preseason opener, I mean, Alex Leatherwood, I believe played the most of any offensive players, you know, the most of any offensive lineman, that's good work for Jatari Carter because he may have to play right guard. Cause if Nate Davis is hurt and Lucas Patrick is also hurt, then he's your third string. And so it wasn't pretty at all times, but I do think that there were moments where it, the blocking was not his issue. Certainly with the, you know, the first team offense, those two touchdowns, think that it was Tevin Jenkins who actually went the wrong way. I saw a video cut up of this and you can watch on the second touchdown to, to Herbert. It was kind of what Matt Eberflus was alluding to. And you know, the blocking was great on the DJ Moore one. The blocking was 
not great because somebody went the wrong way, Tevin Jenkins on that second one, but the right yeah. side still recovered. And you can see those two, uh, I think it was Whitehair and, and Carter getting to the second level when they needed to. And it shows you like he's growing within this. Is he ever going to be a top tier starter? No, but to get him to a point where you're comfortable with him as your depth, that's better than being in the alternative. It's better than what this offense was dealing with last year at this time. So I, I think there are some net positives for, for Carter too coming out of this, that he's getting a ton of run with yeah. the ones. I mean, Nate Davis was back in practice Monday, but he wasn't doing anything. He went through individuals. He was dressed out, but it's still Jatari Carter who's getting those first team reps as long as he can continue to do that to stay healthy, because I don't even, I don't know what they would do. Um, if they had to, if they had another injury and he, if he was involved in that, like, I don't know who the four string right guard is right now. I don't even think they do. So that's not a great spot to be in, but he was getting a lot of reps with the ones and yeah. with the twos. And that's how, that's what you need for a player like that. Who was a late round draft pick who, you know, was, you know, on the practice, he was, you know, not called up. He wasn't on the active roster a lot during game days. Like you got to get him up to speed. So he's ready to go in the event that he is starting week one, because we just, they've been so vague about this Nate Davis thing that we just don't know how serious it is. And when we're going to see him. I've said this from the beginning. It feels the same as as how they talked about Lucas Patrick all offseason. It's it's one of those things where it's just, yeah, you know, when when they tell me I'm good to go, like he yeah. he instilled no confidence in me yesterday with his press conference at all, right? Like I, mean, I was he like, was, so, he was do you feel good? And I I don't think anybody could walk away knowing anything one way or the other. Yeah. It felt like felt like he's he was either told don't disclose anything, keep it really vague, or that this is his way of being like it's worse than it. Like whatever I'm dealing with is worse than it's being made out to be. And I'm going to make that clear. Like he did himself more harm than good by the way that he handled his press conference yesterday. I don't think that that is, you know, that's, that's fact because there's more ambiguity. Now there's people calling into question. Like when you and I talked, I think it was like July 31st or August 1st, whatever day that press conference, when whatever day, we did the podcast and you asked me about like my concern meter with Nate Davis. And I said, it's, you know, it's, I'm concerned two weeks later, Pat, I'm concerned because (laughs) this is not something that is solved. We've seen no answers to this. He comes back to practice last Tuesday and then all of a sudden he's out again. Like what's going on here? If it wasn't a setback, then what is it? Do you, is he somebody who feels that he needs to be at a hundred percent to play? If there's something nagging, will he not play through it? By him not answering those questions and showing any sort of, you know, forthcoming about what's going on, those are the assumptions that get brought up. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. do yourself oh, yeah. a favor and don't just try to gloss this over as respectfully I'm not talking about this. That does more harm than good. And I think that he's in a spot now where a lot of people are calling into question, like, what's going on with you? You just signed yeah. a three-year, $30 million contract here. You didn't show up for most of the off-season program. You are here one day when the team's not in pads and something happens during reps where you get replaced or you're splitting your reps with Lucas Patrick and then you refuse to talk to the media that day and then all of a sudden you're not practicing, you come back, then you're not practicing. What is it? Like, this is a concern. And And I just, I don't really know how else to say it other than until we see him in pads, there's every reason to be concerned that he's not going to be ready for week one, despite what's being said about everybody being week to week at this point, because this guy has not had any actual real reps, live reps 
in pads with the rest of the first team offensive line. You have every right to be concerned if you're a Bears fan. And it's it's not just it, I don't even think it's just fans. I don't even think remember Matt Eberflew said at this point you have to start worrying about continuity of guys. Sure. I get it. On the Nate offensive Davis, line. Nate Davis said, I played with a rookie last season, so I know how to adapt to that guy. You played with him though. Yes. <laughs> you you haven't played with Darnell Wright yet. And that's my concern, right? Like, are you guys going to be able to acclimate well early on? Now, the only thing that makes me feel better about it is at least it's on the side that Justin can see. And we know we have a quarterback that can evade, but you know, it, it's not all pretty. It's not all pretty in that uh in that backfield. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we keep moving forward. Good best impressions. Now we got to talk about the worst impressions as we head into the second quarter here. Second quarter. But first, I got to let you know it's brought to you by the Hard Rock Casino in Northern Indiana. You can see Black Veil Bridges and VV on September 28th at Hard Rock Live. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. Courtney, I'll start us off here, but I do want to get your thoughts on it because I think the worst impression in week one, and I know everybody, Sam Bayless Jones, that is still a very bad one, right? And we could talk about that as well. But if it gets past Justin Fields, I have no confidence in anything behind him. P.J. Walker has had a very... It, no, it's been it's bad. Been terrible. bad training it's been terrible. It's been terrible. It's been a terrible training camp and a terrible week one. No, I mean, like, they signed P.J. Walker because they expected him to better better mirror Justin Fields' skill set. And yeah. if Fields has to miss time, which he's had to his first two seasons due to injury... They wanted somebody who can better take the reins, send like having to kind of tailor the offense on the fly to a Trevor Simeon or to a Nathan Peterman. This doesn't look good. It doesn't look good at all. And it's not just yesterday. It's not just the the game two days ago where he goes four for eight, four of eight for 19 yards and an interception. Like during the team period yesterday, he looked not very good. And some of it is just like the timing element too. It just looks like he's rushed and it looks like he's not anticipating the right place to go with the football. Like I, I know he's had a really cool story going from like XFL standout to the NFL and like, you know, playing last year in Carolina and they saw the similarities. They saw, you know, the continuity he had with DJ Moore and with Deontay Foreman and to be able to bring some of those pieces together. It doesn't look good though. Right now, DJ Moore does not look like a good backup quarterback and that's no slight on, you know, him as a person, it's slight on him as a quarterback. Like he doesn't look like he's capable of running this offense. And is it just that he's new to it? uh, No, it shouldn't be that because he's a veteran quarterback who's played a lot of different places. I just don't understand. Yeah. You know, there's such a noticeable drop off, which of course you expect when it goes from the starters to the backups, but the skill with the, with the, with the backups doesn't look, nearly as much of a drop-off as it does from the quarterback to the backup quarterback. I'm concerned about P.J. Walker. I really am, because I don't think right now he's a viable backup option for Justin Fields. I think that they would end up having to become a more run-heavy team in those moments if Fields had to miss time, if there was some need for you know the second-string quarterback to come in, because accuracy has been a problem for P.J. Walker throughout throughout training camp. It has not gone away, and it's not gotten better. And it's it's weird, right? Because I think that, of course, the depth chart is going to change every day. You want PJ Walker; they want PJ Walker to be that guy. But 
I left the first preseason game saying, I, I don't know, man, Badgett might be the dude that we might need to put in because at a minimum, he's hitting receivers in their hands or near their hands. P.J. Walker, that first pass, you know, like they, they tried to shoot him some bail. They're like Equinamius cut his route off a little too early. Like unless Equinamius was Manute Bowl out there, he <laughs> never would have been able to catch that football. Yeah, the Isaiah Ford catch was the catch of the day, and that can't, did come from Tyson Bajant in the preseason game. But I, I worry about it because it just you know it's they didn't get it was a two year five million dollar contract. I think yeah. three of it's guaranteed, so it's not yeah. a huge deal. But you went out and thought that this guy was going to be the best backup option, and very clearly he's not right now. And Tyson Bajant's a former. D2 kid. No, yeah. no slight on him at all. Like if you end up outplaying somebody like, like PJ Walker, then that's like, what does that say? Just about, you know, where this team is in terms of being able to select players and thinking that this might be the right fit versus something that's not, but I mean, Bajant, Bajant, I mean, if I could throw him in, I can, mean, we were going backwards, but like he was somebody who impressed me in yeah. limited action. Nathan Peterman, whatever like it's he is what he is. like he, he, he's, he's, you know he'll he'll be on he'll either be on the practice squad or you know they keep two quarterbacks on the active roster they yeah. will not keep three um because they need those numbers somewhere else but nathan peterman is a serviceable guy to keep on the practice squad um Bajent could end up playing his way i mean I, i'm not at all going to start like any sort of rhetoric that there's a battle now for the number two but Let's see what Indy's practices bring because that conversation may become real depending upon what we see the next, you know, couple days or so. No, for sure. Uh, outside of that, I mean, Javon Dexter was an interesting one to me. Didn't he, when I've watched the tape back, it still seems like he hasn't gotten to the point where he's flipped his brain from two gap to penetrating style defense. Slow, he's the last lineman usually to get off. Now, granted, he did have, I think it was just a hamstring pull or maybe a cramp or something like that yeah. that happened on the sideline. Nothing ended up being very serious, but didn't see a lot from Javon Dexter in that day. I feel like we can throw him in there for one of those guys that didn't make the best impression early on. Yeah, and I think I think he was hurt too. I mean, there was a moment at the yeah. end where I remember seeing him at the end of the second second quarter holding out his leg. And I think it was yesterday he had a sleeve on it. So mm. um, there's a reason that like they're bringing him along the way that they are though. We saw unique and Gakwe yesterday, getting my days all uh, wrapped up in one. Like Zach Pickens had, I thought a very good, a very good showing in Javon yes. Dexter. There was still stuff, stuff to be desired, you know, with what we've seen with him, but it's encouraging when the vets are taking time to work with some of the young guys and with what Jervon Dexter, um, still some of the, so, still some of the things that like they're trying to fix of his, because yeah. he's playing a different sort of, uh, technique here as a defensive tackle, watching unique and Gakwe work with him yesterday and talking about like the cross chop and seeing how coaches have, you know, Put, tried to put him in a better position where it's going to be trying to simplify what he does. Yeah. Um, I thought that that was, you know, a good position on him, a good position for him to be in, but yeah, there's still a long way for him to go. I think that that's why you've seen, you know, 
maybe it was an overreaction at first, but people are like, oh man, like Justin Jones are going to be pushing for his spot and they're going to be in a period of where Zach Pickens and Javon Dexter, you know, when they get up to speed, those two Billings and Jones are going to be out of jobs. I don't think that's the case at all. I think that you can see that Justin Jones is firmly supplanted, firmly planted himself as your three technique. And it's going to take a lot to supplant him. And that, that, you know, just the gap between, starters starting dts and the backups is is pretty wide right now it's it's andrew billings might be the surprise signing that we yeah. have because i think we all knew, we knew what he was going to be in the run game right he comes in he's, he's a big body but like the pressure that he's been able to create early on like he's actually surprised me in training camp going into this first game i'm, I'm really like not to say he's like our Akeem Hicks, but he's that signing where it's like, oh yeah, that's a good signing. Maybe that's a better signing than we thought it was, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and he's not somebody like I know when he he came here and he told us yesterday that like you know his body was a focus. He's a huge dude, and like he's you massive. you want somebody like that to help stop the run up front, but you know, focusing on his body and being able to cut down. I think he said he lost four pounds, but that's actually helped him move better. It doesn't seem like a lot in the grand scheme of things when you have a 300 plus pound dude, but I am very pleased with the early returns that we've seen from Andrew Billings as a run stuffer and what he provides the line up front. I think that that's, talk about all the movement up front and, you know, is where's Travis Gibson going? Is he, you know, going from a starter's role to a four stringer, like, you know, and unique and Gakwe and how he, fi- how he fits into everything and what that means for everybody. Like Andrew Billings has been the only consistent. We really don't talk about him much because he's been in there at nose and he's done his job and he's done yeah. a good job of it. When, when you do your job, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't always get the, the most vocal people looking at you because he's just, he's like you said, solid. Uh, was there anybody else that you thought really made a not the didn't put their best foot forward in week one that stood out to you? Um, I mean, Valus is one that I think that we really still need to talk about. Like yeah. I, you know, the muffed punt. And I know that Eberflus did kind of give him some credence. He said that that was a really hard angle, like back to back hard angles on those punts. But that opened the door for Tyler Scott to get in there at punt return. And when I talked to Tyler Scott one-on-one after the game, he had mentioned that this is an area that Richard Hightower really wants him to focus on. And now that Dante Pettis is back, we saw him at at camp on Monday. He was practicing, um, you know, he was practicing back there at punt return. I would imagine that Velas and the competition there, it's only going to start to get heated yeah. Like in a in a in a good way, there's going to be a lot of competition at punt return. You just can't have those things happen, and that's tough for Valus because he's really been coming along nicely in camp. He had a couple of good catches yesterday during the eleven on eleven period. To have that translate, though, let me pull up a stats. Like, the, like what else stood out? I mean, yeah, he caught like one pass for six yards, so it really yeah. wasn't much offensively that like I thought really stood out for him. But he's got to he can't make those mistakes on special teams because we saw what those mistakes led to in the games last year, particularly that what the Washington game and then the giants game before that it's, it's not good. Like, so, I mean, I would really think that they, you know, there's a lot at stake for Velas, especially coming up with these joint practices this week. I think he's really got to show a turnaround there. And I'm not saying you have to play error free football, but if there's anybody who has to get as close to that as possible, because they're really asking him to hone in on one or two things and do them really well, it's got to be Velas Jones. Is there is there an opportunity on this team for him where 
he actually can just be a receiver. Because like you said, a couple catches yesterday, we've seen him make catches in camp where he can just be a receiver on this team and he doesn't have to be that special teams guy that has to be relied on for punt return. In terms of Valus, yeah, somebody else? <laughs> like, no, I think that that's... <sighs> I go back to what Matt Eberflus was saying. Might have been Getzy. Um, remember, they want to use them on jet sweeps. They want to use yep. them on motion plays. Like we are seeing that. I actually saw a lot of. We're seeing a ton of it. Yeah, and in, in practice, you see a lot of Darnell Mooney doing that with the ones. I think Velas. I don't want to. Like, I feel like his ceiling is as a gadget guy, and yep. if he can't give you what you need on special teams, um, like. I don't know what the role for him is going to be, sadly. I really don't. I mean, but like he's a third round pick. They're going to give him every opportunity. He just can't play um, like Like he did. Yeah, he cannot play like that. And like (laughs) muffing a punt, like, you know, and I know even Tyler Scott like had had some issues, but it was was, was on offense. Like, you know, it was just. It was one of those things where watching that game Saturday made me go through because I think it did set Valus back a lot. And I said, who might he be ahead of on this roster right now? And as far as special teams or receiver, I I, I couldn't give you anybody. Because I said I, I said he's if we're being honest, he's behind Travis Homer right now. Travis Homer can catch punts, return punts, catch kickoffs, mm-hmm. return kickoffs. He's behind Tyler Scott probably because Tyler Scott was just drafted. He's behind like you can go down. He for me, he's probably behind Dante Pettis right now. Yeah, that's and the Dante one. Pettis that's hasn't played. So yeah, no, I'm with you because I remember yesterday watching some punt return because they were indoors and it was it's you know due to weather, so it's hard to tell. But like Isaiah Ford was back there. Dante Pettis was back there and he just came off NFI last week. So they're going to, yeah. you know, probably bring him up to speed. He didn't play as far as I can recall. I didn't see him play um, during the game on, on, on Saturday. Now we'll see if he ends up getting any reps in Indianapolis, but that's more numbers. Like this was Valus Jones's time. The first couple yep. weeks of training camp when he didn't have, you know, the other guys kind of breathing down his neck, trying to take his job as a punt returner. Um, and even on kickoff return, you saw what that depth chart looked like. They should be putting one out here, um, you know, in the coming days, like for the next preseason game with the flip card. I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see too many changes because they're not going to want to overreact off one game. But right. Valus is probably on like the hot seat, if that even exists, like that sort of terminology for yeah. um, the type of role that he's looking for here because it feels more one dimensional. It feels like they're trying to tailor, like pare things down for him. And I think he's kind of on the outside looking in right now. I really do because it's not just, okay, what can you add? It's, can we trust you to do your job? And if they can't trust you on punt return, if they can't trust you to catch the ball and yes, these were hard punts that came his way because of the direction of them. That's still not going to like, you're still not going to get the benefit of the doubt from that. You just won't. It's like Lance said yesterday. He said, I asked him, I was like, can we shoot him bail? Because remember, in college, he wasn't really a punt returner. He was a no. kick returner. But I said, Tyler, Tyler Scott wasn't a punt returner either, which is interesting. Right. Like Richard Hightower is like, no, please focus on this. Does that not tell you that maybe they're like, hey, we have somebody else here that can't do it. We're going to maybe throw this on your plate and because he's making the roster. There's no doubt about that. But like giving him responsibility to see the field early. Like if Valus Jones was so good at that, they probably don't have Tyler Scott do something he's literally never done until this year. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. Well, I I I always say this. I'm gonna just talk about it. Prove me wrong. I yeah. love when players shut me up. When players shut me up, it's like, hey, bro, like 
He's got a lot to prove. He's got a lot to prove, though, dude. Like, <laughs> he really does. And I, and, I, and I feel for him because it felt like things were going pretty well in the first couple weeks of training camp, and then you put one of those things on tape, and other teams see it too because, yeah. you know, 90 to 53, there's one cut this year. So if, if, if the Bear, and we've, we've talked about this, the Bears are going to give him every opportunity as a third round pick to make, get it right. But if they, if he can't, some other teams looking for him, be like, where can you contribute? Like, if the Bears won't keep you and they had such shallow depth at receiver for a year, like, does that, like, what avenues do you have after that? I, I feel like, and it, it's tough to say, but I do agree. They're going to give him as many chances as possible. They have if to. it was me, I probably would move on. But I think he could be somebody even that makes the team. You go into the season, and it's one of those situations where it's like you got one shot. Mm-hmm. And if you screw up one time on it. He might not even get there, though. Like, if there's another mistake, and, and I hate being so down on it, yeah. but, like, if there's another mistake like that, they can't hedge that again. There yeah. were too many of them he that happened. His rookie. He cost him two games last yeah. year. 100%. And it's it's just you can't afford that anymore. Yeah. No, the the leash in the NFL is short. It really is, and so even for third round picks. Hopefully, yeah, even for third round pick. Well, we just we'll talk about that later. I believe we just got. Ah, he might have been a fourth. I think he was a fourth round pick, but we got a pick off of waivers that uh, was cut after three years in the league. So uh, we'll see kind of how that looks as well. But as we get the halftime here, Courtney, halftime, my favorite time because you've always got interesting things to talk about, and I got to ask you about this. The blind side, just not, it's not a real thing. Like, it's tough now. Michael Orr suing the family. Apparently, they were a little shysty. It's not Sandra Bullock's out there, realistically. And I'm like, what's going on here? What's happening? What are we missing? I mean, there's, like, so I was in Mississippi when this story, like, I think, the when was the movie out? Like, 2010, something like that. I, I was somewhere around there, yeah. I was down there in 2013. So, of course, like, the Tuies and covering Ole Miss and, like, you know, that name's royalty down there. And then kind of seeing, okay, wow, this is a really cool story. It happened right in the backyard of where I was in Jackson. And there was always people who were really skeptical of it. And then to see the Associated Press article that came out that he's suing the family and all these court documents. Look, there's a movie that won that has an actress that won Best Oscar for her performance as Leanne Tui in this movie. And you find out that this whole story more or less is a lie that they tricked him into signing papers like so they could have conservatorship when he didn't technically adopt him. It was like it. the ick factor that comes out of all of this. Cause I actually, I remember really liking the movie and of course it was, you know, it definitely felt like it was Hollywoodized having known people who were like close enough to the story. And, you know, he owns this thing called D one. It's a, um, it's a workout facility. A lot of athletes in Mississippi utilize for the off season. And I know the one that he owns down in um, the Metro area of Jackson, Mississippi. So I'd spent some time there and people are always kind of like, yeah, the blind side, like, yeah, right. Like, like we're going to roll in their eyes at it. Like this was a bigger, this was a story that was made into a production that was, you know, beautiful in Hollywood. Yes, and and like that. It was just this glamorous yeah. thing. Like, no, it wasn't. And yeah. I don't know how we got to this point where somebody didn't look into the, it just feels like something somewhere in a very serious way along the way, did not look into the background of this and just took it kind of at face value. Oh man, this family in the Memphis area out of the kindness of their heart, take this kid in 
and takes his kid in and then gives him a bed. And like, then, you know, all of a sudden he like rises to fame as like an <laughs> Ole Miss football. Player. Like it just, it was too good to be true. And I honestly yeah. think that it gives you, you know, kind of puts the fear of God in you if you're a journalist, because like you can't take things just at face value because, you know, research would have done us a lot of good in finding out the real truth behind this. And or apparently just asking him. I don't know. I, my, 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 the thing is weird. It's like, why did it take so long for this to come to the light? It's so weird. And, and see, are you like me where, right, for me, now I'll probably never watch The Blind Side again. No. Because I, the entire time I'm just going to be like... Why? Like, it's all a lie. Why would I watch that? So, no, I'm with you. I think it's it's really shady how this whole thing went down. And for it to come out in this manner is... It's just disheartening. That's like, yeah. you know, you're finding people that... You know, but what's going to happen to the Tuies? Nothing. Like they're getting sued. Nothing. They're, but they're like fine. they're, they're they, going to be fine. Like, they were rich before this, they'll be no. rich after. You know what I mean? Like it's it's weird because like I I said this, uh, and they knew uh, what they were doing was wrong. You can't yeah. tell me like tricking somebody into signing conservator papership like is it's just weird. It's just it's they, just, they, that's just gross. They're they're. I hope that he wins this because the fact that one you made an entire lie up about his life. There were things in there that he's openly said. He's like, I don't remember going to a crack house to see my mom, but all right, that was cool in the movie, I guess. That was very strange that y'all threw that in there. Like, he's talked about openly how he's like, yeah, yeah, like this is this is not fact. It's okay. And you didn't even pay him a dime off of the movie That's, of his life. That's messed up. Like, how do you, you not like? Because he was an adult at that time. Yeah, he was in the league for what? He'd been in there five years at that point. I don't know. Like, it just, how did it get, like, I, I can't, still can't wrap my head around how it got to this point. Like, and now all these years later, what is it? 2023, like more than a, you know, a decade after this movie came out. Yeah. Now we're just finding this out. Like, was there some sort of gag order? Was there something in place that wouldn't let him come file this lawsuit until now? I don't understand it. Like, well, he probably had to go through all of the red tape to get the whatever the contract he signed or whatever removed mm-hmm. before he could do it. Like, like if we're being 100% honest, this is... Oh, so he was a rookie when that movie came out. Oh, they wasted no time. He got drafted 2009. I thought he was in the league before that. So the movie, the movie was 2009. The movie came out yeah. 09. He comes into the league at 09. Solid player the entire time, pretty much. I mean, good, good player. Uh, Seven-year career till 2016. He probably this is the Britney Spears situation. If we're being 100 percent honest, yeah, you're right. Because remember, like it took her a long time to get that conservator papership, um, conservatorship, yeah, removed. I wonder if he's Basically. been going through this the entire time he's been in the league, though. Like this is probably yeah. Like, because if they made him sign it, he's like, he was like a movie about what? Yeah, <laughs> and if he had no say on it, but like, how did it? I just like how how did nobody find out about this until now? Because obviously he would have known he would have been feeling these feelings all these years, and like unless he was like bound by law to not say anything, which is it's not the case when you are under conservatorship. You can say what you want. It's just that some other people have legal, you know, basically power of attorney over everything you do in your life. Yeah, that's just doesn't make any sense to me. I um. This is not the last we're going to hear of this either. It's a messed up. It's a really sad and messed up thing. And, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to recoup any of the funds that were garnered or the money that was like garnered, you know, for his yeah. likeness. But it's um, it's shady, man. It was, weird. it was a weird thing. I just had to bring it up and it throws everything off for me. Right. I'm the see, here's the thing. I'm the person that like 
Remember the Titans is always tainted for me now, even though I'll still watch it. It's mm-hmm. a great movie. Once I found out, like, the coach acted nothing like that, and he started acting like that once he saw Denzel depict him in the movie, I was like, oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, nah, now it's not as good of a movie. It's still a great movie. I, I do watch it. Yeah. But, uh, uh, let's keep this thing moving along. Let's get into the third quarter here. As we talk about this rookie class, we've talked about some of the rookies at this point. Courtney, which rookie impressed you most? So I went ahead and said Tyreek Stevenson, so I can't say him again. I will say Zach Pickens. It's hard. Mm. I, I want to say, I want, I want, I want to say Darnell Wright, but like, I just don't know if I got to see enough of him there. And right. of course, like he had a, from what I understand, because I wasn't at practice last week because I was in New York doing TV, but it sounded like he had a really rough day that second to last team practice, yeah. um, which you expect. You're going up against NFL defensive ends, even if some of them aren't like the top tier guys, you know, and you're not going up against Unique and Gakwe. Like he still struggled, but right. he, I mean, first team offensive line, what it was, you know, with Jatari Carter in there on Saturday, I thought it was good. Uh, but I will say Zach Pickens from how active he was at, you know, being able to blow up play action and being able to get into the backfield and get this, get a sack on Saturday. He, he played really well. And actually he yeah. played more than I thought he would. I'm going to just taking a look at his snap count from this game. Cause I remember looking at a period in the second quarter, because I'm going to keep him and Dexter in there. Because remember Javon Dexter, um, there's a, he, there's a series where he got hurt, then he still stayed in, then he went to the then he went to the sideline. But uh, Zach Pickens played 60% of snaps, and then he played three plays on special teams. I was really I came away really impressed by his ability to penetrate and his ability to get in the backfield. Um, and also just like how how much of a load he is for offensive linemen to handle. I mean, this guy's a force and he's still raw in what he's doing right now, but he had a sack. For it was an eight yard loss, he, he, you know, hitting the quarterback, the tackle for loss, and then that fumble recovery. We know that, oh, yeah, you know, hits principles showed up in a big way in this first game because there was, you know, you go back to Adrian Colbert, the forced fumble and fumble recovery, and then the one that Zach Pickens was able to land on and, you know, come away with the ball. That's the hits principle in action. And for young players to demonstrate like the importance of that, I think is important. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought that Zach Pickens did an excellent job. I thought he he really impressed me because he's been somebody whose name has been quiet throughout training camp. Not to mm-hmm. say he's been doing things wrong. He just hasn't been someone who is like every time out, you're like, I feel his pressure. I feel the presence. I feel him in the backfield. And he's been somebody who's been around there. But I thought, right, there's certain players when the lights come on, they just they're able to make an impact. Mm-hmm. To me, that was Zach Pickens in that game, right? Seeing him come yeah. off the edge, seeing him be able to put pressure on the middle, right? Moving around that defensive line as well. I thought he did a really good job. And and he, I mean, like, that's what we've talked about the entire offseason, right? Who's going to make the name for themselves, Zach Pickens or uh, uh, um, Javon Dexter. Dexter? It was good to see Pickens be the one to, to get out to a good start. And, and yeah. I think we'll see Dexter catch up. I'm not overly worried about I it yet, but I, I, mean, I thought that I thought that it was a really good start from picking and like we talked about earlier Dexter still has a ways to go because he's changing from like you know being in a two-gap system at Florida to what yeah. he does here now which is to like get up the field get to the quarterback Pickens like they're competing for playing time and yeah. if, I guess if you had to judge it like who's ahead right now if you're just kind of looking at it in a vacuum you take a look at okay well you played what did I say it was 32 pass rush snaps. That was for, um, or 32 snaps. That was 
roughly, I think what pick what um, Dexter had or 35. And then what you saw with uh, Zach Pickens playing 44, you know, to generate a quarterback hit out of that and only have like one, like, you know, he's an interior defensive lineman. They were switching in and out personnel. Like that stuff's going to happen. I would expect those numbers to rise if this was like a real true game situation, but to show that you can do it, um, you know, against backups, it's a good start, but I, I really do. I'm really pleased with Zach Pickens because I thought, I think you saw the flash there. You saw yeah. like the very beginning of what this thing can be for him. And this is somebody, again, when you take a talk, when you talk a lot about joint practices and the guys that are going to benefit the most from this, being able to go up against somebody else's offensive line that you're not afraid to hit. That's where he can really like make some ground up this week and show the technique stuff in action and show that he's like ready to go when it, when his number is going to be called because I still think that there's a big gap right now between it was just an experience and skill between where Justin Jones and Andrew Billings are. But these other two guys, as you know, are going to be part of the rotation, but they're going to rotate those guys in the interior quite a bit. So the guys who are getting the extra work and the guys who are able to, you know, generate that pressure on the interior to keep the quarterback high in the pocket those are going to be the guys who get their number called on game day to go in on third down to do things that, you know, will help pressure the other team into obvious passing situations. And that's where he can, that's where he can carve out a role for himself pretty nicely early on. Yeah. I thought he, he really showed out. I, I also want to throw Noah Sewell's name in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, we, he's been doing that too, which he is has, whether, whether Sanborn's been in there or not. I didn't really think Sanborn had that great of a game, but like Noah Sewell, I keep wondering when they're going to use him as a pass rusher in certain moments. Cause he did a lot of it his last season at Oregon. And we saw nice. him come away with a sack on, um, during Saturday's game against the Titans, like to be able to utilize him in that format uh, going forward, how they do it, when they do it and what situationally that looks like. He has really, really come on strong. It's maybe one of the rookies that we don't talk about enough. Another couple games like this though, he's going to play his way potentially into an even bigger role at linebacker, which right now we know they have a couple depth issues, but you play like that, you stand out like that that only helps your case. Yeah, and and I think that it, you hit the nail on the head with it, right? Like to me, when I watched him out of college, he pass rushes, I'm not going to say pass rushes like his brother, but he pass rushes really really well, has really good pass rush moves. And I feel like he he's more comfortable blitzing the quarterback. I think he came away with eight and a half sacks at Oregon, so He's a guy who you know can do the job, but then he's also quick enough to be able to play out in coverage, different mm-hmm. things like that. He's he's he was really good at forcing fumbles, different things like that. So like he's somebody who I'm trying to figure out, and I've said this a couple of times. I get it. Jack Sanborn's been here. He's got the job, even though he hasn't played a ton. But I don't think that Jack Sanborn is leaps and bounds ahead of Noah Sewell on anything except. He played last season, and I get it. That does have an impact on where you're going to go. Jack Sanborn played well last season, but I can't sit here and tell you that he's no. solidified ahead of Noah Sewell the yeah. entire time. You got to be your best availability ability is your availability, and yeah, he played, but like it's not it's not a done deal that Jack Sanborn is ahead of Noah Sewell right yeah. now, and like might be on paper on the depth chart, but in reality. 
Like he's been hurt. He was hurt during the off season. There was a period of time that he had to miss during this training camp um, due to injury. One that he gets sustained at a goal uh, during a goal line series, but Noah Sewell, again, it's like what we were talking about, you know, earlier with other guys, like who, if you like Tyreek Stevenson, like do your job. Don't worry about the fact that the guy that you're competing with is hurt right now. Like make up your ground and just keep your blinders on and keep going. I would give that same message to Noah Sewell because he's done a really good job. And what we saw during the preseason for him, four tackles, one of which came for loss and the sack and the quarterback hit. That's a great stat line for a backup linebacker who is going to be playing situationally. And in this defense, if you can carve a rollout for yourself there and like, let me see, what were his special teams numbers? Um, If he can find, you know, a spot for himself there on special teams, whether it's on, you know, kickoff return or on punt return. Yeah, yeah, he played nine snaps on special teams. That's that's working your way in something that could actually give you a pretty nice role and a pretty nice, you know, set of responsibilities as a rookie. Yeah, and and I think he's gonna he's one of those guys who it feels like no matter who ends up being the starter, Matt Eberflus is gonna find a role for you. Yeah. He's gonna find something for Team you. Team really likes him. Team really yeah. likes him. Everything you hear behind the scenes is just about his work ethic and how he really does embody that position. Um he's out he's a guy who doesn't shy away from contact. He loves the game of football. I know it sounds so cliche, but like mm-hmm. most conversations I've had about him, those are among the first things that come up. And yeah. I just, I feel like his role, like they can tap into so many different things that, you know, his last year at Oregon, he was used more as a pass rusher, which he wasn't in previous years. So what did they see there? Can the Bears try to find something out there? I know that when I asked about that during the draft, there really wasn't any sort of definitive uh, response one way or another of like how it was going to work out for him. But I think he's in a spot that they can find somewhere to have him as a situational pass rusher, which would be good. Um, and of course, you know, linebacking unit right now, dealing with some injuries, good time for you to, to make your mark if you're someone oh, like yeah. Noah Sewell. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that leads us right into our fourth quarter, right? Fourth quarter. Bears go get McKill Walker off of waivers. Courtney, is this a debt move? Is this a camp body? Or is he somebody who's actually got a shot to stick around on this Bears team? Well, we know that they released, I think it's Coney Dang, who was the linebacker. Uh, like they, they made move, a move for him after they, they put in three waiver claims. So they've been yeah. very active in that. You might as well take advantage of the position that you're in with this number one team, um, you know, in that order to, to claim guys. So we do know that Tremaine Edmonds, it's day to day. According to Matt Eberflus, that's still the that's still the reasoning that they're giving us. It is, you know, they Matt say Eberflus's day to day is terrifying. I'm not gonna lie to well, you. <laughs> the fact that he said that there's no concern, and then Alan Williams said there's zero concern that he's ready for Week One. Like, unless they're just not saying it, like, and it's going to end up being worse than it is. Yeah, at least it gives you the the hope that okay, he'll be ready for then. But I. Like, it's not just Tremaine Edmonds that's missing. Dylan Cole was out of practice yesterday. Demarcus Gates was out of practice yesterday. Those are depth guys. And Dylan Cole was a you know terrific special teamer, especially when he started his career with the Houston Texans. So yeah. I, I think that this Walker claim is a good one. Then he could actually be someone who sticks around because you take a look at some of the other linebackers they have in there. Um, 
I'm not so sure that like there's others that he wouldn't end up like trumping in the depth chart, like Johnson number 50 for them. Like, is is he worth keeping around or do you want somebody who started 12 games last year for the Atlanta Falcons and had a career high in tackles? um, I think he had like four or five tackles for loss. He had a sack last year. He had some takeaways. This might be a really sneaky, good claim for them of somebody who, might not be a starter for you, but like you're bolstering your linebacking unit when depth is a concern for right now, but also somebody that when the dust settles and you do get Tremaine Edmonds back, you might like this person as like a situational player um, in, in various sub packages. So good, good to have. And, and we'll see what he ends up becoming. But I thought it was when I saw it go through on the wire yesterday, I thought that that was a very smart claim on their part. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those guys where I, he seemed like, he wasn't bad with the Falcons. He just seemed like he wasn't what they wanted him to live up to. I feel like he could be a guy that maybe just fits a role here. And that's really, that's why I love what this new front office is doing, right? Like They're very active. I'm just going out to find a guy that what am I asking him to do? This specific thing. Mm-hmm. If you can do this specific thing 10 times a game, you can have a spot on this team. And I feel like uh, uh, McKeel Walker could be a guy like that who, who's able to come in and, hey, listen, we just need you to be out here for 25, 30 plays so that these guys can get breathers and not screw it up. Yeah, I've seen him be able to do that down in Atlanta. <laughs> He's a situational guy to start his career. He's entering a contract year. Like this, could, this is a good opportunity for him to cement himself somewhere after – playing his way into a starter's role. And we know Atlanta's defense, like there was a lot to be, there's a lot left to be desired coming out of that year's group, last year's group, which is why they made so many upgrades. But one team's cut might actually fit another team's, which is why the Bears, they're not just going to claim everybody because they eventually you have to like let somebody else go off your roster. But if you can make your linebacking unit look better by having an influx of talent, not necessarily like we're not going crazy with it, but you know, if it's better than what you had, you make that move because it's, you know, it's a cost efficient way to go about this. And this is somebody who not only those stats that I read 107 tackles for, for loss like the interception, he had two area, two interceptions last year. In addition to the sack, like he's, he's clearly somebody who can play in coverage pretty well. And that's not bad if you have a backup option like that. So I commend them for it. And and to the bigger point here, they've been very active, like the unique and Gakwe thing, signing the top free agent pass rusher available, bringing in Mercedes Lewis, not just because you want a third block, you know, a third tight end who can block for you, but because you want to help with the younger guys along with everything they do is calculated. And these moves have been very smart based on what their plan for this group is. It's good to have a smart front office. And it feels like we finally got one. No slight to anybody who came before. Yeah, it's a slight. No, that was, that was a slight. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> hey, but we're going to keep this thing uh, moving along. We appreciate you guys for showing love as always hit that like button, subscribe to the page. We've got Monday through Friday coverage right here. The Saturday coverage was amazing. And we're going to be running that back this Saturday. You can hear all that on ESPN, Chicago ESPN 1000. So stay tuned in with us on that as well for Courtney Cronin. I am Pat, the designer back at it again. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Bear on. Peace. <laughs>